Here we are at Pod and Market. In 1999, the Newark Alliance was founded to lead efforts around the ongoing economic revitalization of Newark, with the goal of transforming Newark into a better and safer place to work, live, learn, play, and do business. Part of this vision includes turning Newark into a true regional city through efforts in four broad strategic areas. The Alliance is supported by several major private sector institutions, including Audible, Mars Wrigley, RWJ Barnabas, Prudential, PSCNG, as well as several public sector institutions like NJIT, Rutgers, NJPAC, University Hospital, and the MCJ Amelior Foundation. You may have even heard or participated in several marquee programs led by the Alliance, including the Newark Anchor Collaborative, Hire Newark, Live Local, and Career Works. Here on the podcast to talk about the Alliance, its programs, and its vision for Newark is Evan Weiss. Evan became the president and CEO of the Newark Alliance in December 2021. Before that, he was the senior advisor for finance and major projects to Governor Murphy, where, the, uh, where he led the state's fiscal response to the COVID-19 pandemic and was the point person for several key initiatives in Newark, Trenton, and Atlantic City. Uh, so first, I want to thank Evan for coming on, and I just want to ask you how you're doing. I'm doing well. I had a great day at the Newark Artists Collaborative today at Audible. So it's always amazing to have the chance to see what our members are working on and you know how many lives they touch in so many different sectors and for so many different people in the city. So good day so far. Yeah, I was also present at that event. It was actually a, a lot of fun, not only to see so many institutional leaders there, but also a lot of artists, uh, even artists who are not... Uh, participants in the program. Uh, and the, obviously, the program is going to continue and, and grow, but to see other artists there to support each other was a lot of fun. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think it, it's something, you know, the Newark Alliance is structured around these members meetings that happen once per quarter. And they are these traditionally sort of closed door affairs. They can, you know, have a feeling of being in a tower. And I feel like one of my main goals of being here is just as much as we possibly can tying the institutions in this city to the city. Many of them are already incredibly deeply tied, but to really feel the fabric of it in every employee and every student's daily life. And so after the members meeting, we had a session, um, a cocktail hour with a number of um, small businesses in Newark. And it felt a little like today where you're getting this great mingling of not only the big businesses, the big institutions, the hospitals, the universities, but with so many of the entrepreneurs and local businesses, just like you did today with the artists, you know, that make up the fabric and the vibrancy of the city. So whenever I can, I just want to try to have the alliance like serve as a bridge uh, between those two worlds. Yeah, I'm actually glad you mentioned that um, the sort of relationship the alliance has with a lot of these major players in town. But I'm wondering if, you know, if you're, um, you know, the sort of average person on the street, uh, how would you explain what the alliance does to someone who may not be as familiar with the economic and business news and going ons of the city? Sure. I think, I think you could really say it does two things is that one Newark is very fortunate, um, to hold so many institutions of economic, cultural, social power in one place in a way that's very unique among New Jersey cities and certainly punches above its weight nationally. You know, with a city that has 312,000 people, the number of different institutions that are based here is just beyond what you would see in most places. So I think the first thing the Alliance tries to do is just try to have each of those institutions move past just sponsoring a parade or an event, which which is great. But I think to really think about why they're here to be rooted here and, and to have that be a part of their institution, both from an internal and external perspective. And from the internal perspective, particularly led by an initiative, the Alliance called the Newark Anchor Collaborative, which is led by Rutgers Chancellor Nancy Cantor, and Prudential's Shawnee Harris. That is a great example of initiative that is meant to ask those institutions, are they hiring new workers? Are they buying from Newark businesses? And are they doing what they can to have employees live here? And are they also working towards creating the most amenities and vibrancy in the city? You know, their, their own selves versus just external facing kind of things. So I think that's sort of the first piece is just, trying to really root 
and harness all the economic, cultural, and social power of these institutions in Newark, for Newark, and with Newark. I think the second piece is to then bind people and bind these institutions together. So not just pursuing sort of a, a one-by-one strategy where Prudential does this and Audible does this and NJPAC does that, but rather to see whenever possible that these efforts can be aggregated. Because while each of those institutions and all the other members of the alliance are incredible and do incredible work in the city, it, it still, no matter what, will pale in comparison with what we can do together. So I think that's really the second main function is trying to pick strategic priorities that the alliance then can do as a whole. And so the why of it, I think, is equally important as the what, if you're talking to an everyday Newarker. I mean, the point is, is, is to benefit Newark and the city. Um, it's, it's something that we're trying to figure out the best and most equitable and inclusive way to do. This is not something that you know, we want to be happening at. It's something that we want to be doing collectively, and that's the only way to really to do it. I think we take extremely seriously, you know, Mayor Baraka's vision for the city and try to work constantly in partnership with the city, uh, with a capital C. And I think that's that's the point of it. And whenever I've had the chance to talk with him about our work, but it's got to be, that's the central point. It's yes, like the businesses are members, the institutions are members, but the whole point of it is for everyday people, everyday Newarkers, employees, everybody, like the benefit has to redound back to the city itself and its people. You know, it's, it's you know, it's funny. It's as I'm listening to you, um, it dawned on me that alliance is actually a very specific term that was chosen here and it's not kind of random. And I've never noticed this before, but like what you described sounds more akin to um, a like bringing everyone together in the same room, it sounds like, to to not only hash out through these issues, but to come up with ideas. And is that the sort of origin, or not the origin, but the ethos that flavors the organization that, you know, pervades what you guys do? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's just, you know, in a more modern parlance, in some ways, it, it might be like an incubator or accelerator as well, where it's like, if someone has a great idea at one of the member institutions, we want to see that then spread you know, throughout the remaining membership body. So the idea being is that whatever is happening that looks like it's moving the needle here, that should be something that, you know, the folks who can really contribute to that kind of positive change hear about, hear about in a, a room where you can talk openly, um, both about challenges and successes and workshop it among peers. And I think the kind of what the word peer means is one of the central questions, you know, I'm wrestling with at the Alliance where, you know, it's changed over time. And I think the hope is, is that like the, the peer groups really just revolve around a strong commitment and an ability to leverage your institution, you know, for the city. But absolutely, yes, like the Alliance is that it's not an accident of what the term is. It is meant to be an aggregation and a collaboration and but still maintain kind of individual identity and to highlight, um, you know, the work that each of the members are doing. And then, like I said, to be able to share those successes across the group. Um, yeah, and you've been here for, I think you're approaching your six month, um, mm -hmm. mark. And I do want to ask you about that. But first, I, I do want to ask the ancillary or pre, you know, the question that goes before that, which is, you know, you're someone who is very important in the state structure. And oftentimes the narrative is someone, you know, moves up from uh, a local or county based position into Trenton. But what I'm seeing here is someone who's left Trenton to come down to Newark. So I'm wondering what, drove you or attracted you to leading um, a much more localized institution, having come from the state level? And I didn't mention in your background, you had, had done similar efforts in Pennsylvania at the state level, correct? Yeah, not yeah. with the state government, but with mm -hmm. a state nonprofit. I okay. was very similar to the Newark Alliance. And yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I also started my professional career in, in government in Newark. I've had the chance I worked, got to work with Mayor Booker directly, Mayor Quintana when he was interim mayor, and then Mayor Baraka, as well as the, the last three superintendents. And so I had always, I actually left different work in Newark to go work uh, in Trenton for Governor Murphy. And really, one of the main reasons I 
started working with Governor Murphy as an outsider and his team was for Newark's Amazon HQ2 bid, actually working a lot with Aisha Glover, you know, who was my predecessor at the Newark Alliance and is now at Audible. Um, and so Newark was in some ways the reason I wound up in Trenton. Um, I did have the opportunity and I still you know, treasure it to have worked with the city of Trenton, city of Atlantic City, city of Camden, you know, other cities in New Jersey. And I do think that I had a phenomenal experience, you know, working with Governor Murphy um, and his whole team. Um, I still get to work regularly, whether it's uh, the chief of staff or the deputy chief of staff, Joe Kelly, for economic growth. You know, they are critical, critical components of anything the alliance does and much of what our members do. So I certainly, you know, no longer work for Governor Murphy and his team, but certainly with Governor Murphy and their team. They're indispensable to this work. But I think the why is just, um, you know, really, again, like I began my work here. Um, I spent a lot of my life here in different ways. And working at the state, you have the incredible opportunity to really design macro policy and in some cases push projects forward like the maybe the very last thing I worked on when I was with Governor Murphy was securing funding to buy a railroad right-of-way that will create the Essex Hudson Greenway uh, between Montclair and Jersey City which passes through the North Ward of Newark and so while there were often times in Trenton where it was extremely abstract you know tax policy or statewide tax credits or uh, the pension there were chances where it was something hyper-localized. You know, I worked on the Newark Penn Station funding. I, like I mentioned, the Essex Hudson Greenway. And I wanted the chance once again to kind of go back to the level of where you're able to be at that, the level of a community, the level of a city, and to kind of actually work on those projects instead of kind of pulling big levers in Trenton. And so I think that that is it. I just kind of wanted to be embedded again and to be somewhere and be in a community where you're much more on the street and on the ground. That's something I really enjoy about this job is just walking around or taking the bus around the city and talking with people. It's just um, that that's a big part of it. I, you know, it's also no accident, I think, because of COVID, just wanting to have something that felt more tangible again and to be with more people. Um, you know, I spent a lot of my time and governor's office, not in Trenton, <laughs> but <laughs> behind a computer screen at my house, as so many of us did. So I think that was also part of it, too. It's just I, I just love being in Newark. I just love walking around, like I said, and just, you know, last week I was in the South Ward for an event um, for the, you know, the, actually the new film studio. And I took a long walk between the film studio um, to Beth Israel Hospital and then, you know, rode the bus back uh, to my office and just you know, that kind of stuff is was not as easy to do in, in Trenton. And, um, you know, I, I really like that about this. Yeah, it's uh, a first, it's funny that you mentioned rights of way, because I would totally spend the next hour talking about rights of way if I had the chance. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, it, it's very, you know, it, it's great to hear an institutional leader who's who's already familiar with the city. I mean, not always, but sometimes we do get institutional leaders who are, are brand new. And having to, you know, spend their first six months getting used to the territory and more importantly, knowing the names, because this is a, still a very much like a who you know kind of city. Um, that being said, though, I'm wondering what were the first, you know, six months like? It's sort of, were they akin to like, you know, 100 days for a president or was it more about tone setting and, you know, making introductions? Like, I'm wondering what it's like, you know, in those first six months. Yeah, and I think... You know, my predecessor was an interim position, Deshaun Wright, who's an amazing person who's, you know, been working in Newark in many different capacities for, you know, a long time at this point. But there was a long window between myself and Aisha. Um, and so I think immediately when I got here, you know, I was trying to be able to, you know, both show a level of consistency um, and then also to try to chart a new path um, to reset priorities, particularly uh, as we recover um, both from the health consequences and the economic consequences of, of COVID. And so what that meant is because we are a membership organization, I, I went to meet everybody who was a member. I met several uh, different stakeholders who are not members, but maybe will be one day. 
And then I've met a lot of small business people, community organizations, leadership in City Hall, leadership at the state, people at the county. It was just a lot of meeting, 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 just to try to put together somehow a mental map of, okay, what has been the work that people have found value in from the alliance? What were the gaps and what do we want to see going forward? And so I tried pretty quickly to set some new strategic priorities to figure out what we wanted to continue doing. And then sort of from a governance perspective, like I said, I, I think if, if there's one thing, it's just, you know, the idea of using the power of these institutions and members that are part of the alliance um, to do great things in Newark and to tear down the walls, um, you know, between the different institutions and members and their workers with people in the city, um, because that's one of the key ways to just increase vibrancy here, economic activity, everything from more restaurants and nightclubs to more affordable housing. You know, we all have to be working together at that. So I just think that's sort of been the through line through that strategy setting process. But yeah, I'm, I, you know, I really am like just for the first six months, a lot of it is just me just walking around the city and going for meeting, meeting to talk to different people. Um, and then, you know, still sometimes, you know, on Zoom, of course, but I think conversation, if there was one word, um, yeah, that would really highlight a lot of my time here. Even if I knew the people beforehand, um, you know, having a different kind of conversation from my new position. And as you probably know, there's people here who rotate from, you know, position to position to position. And so there's a lot of times where I meet people, I knew them from two jobs ago um, that they had. And so it often could be funny, too, since as you've alluded to, and you know, everyone knows it's a small town here, you know, for the size of the city. And so you do, yeah, you see people in all different circumstances all the time. It's fun. I would love to get into the weeds of two things you mentioned, particularly through the lens of the Alliance itself. Um, and one of which is uh, cultural, sorry, economic and structural, the other being cultural. But the first question I have is, you know, there's it's no secret, and you came into this position fully well knowing that the economic and um, business ground has completely shifted over the course of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I'm wondering what, you know, A, in your view, what has shifted, what has changed, but also what do you think the Alliance's response should be to this uh, new world that's being created. I, I, it's funny, this happened to me again today when someone asked me, you know, when are we getting back to normal? And I had to say to them, I'm like, the problem you have there is the word normal, <laughs> right? right. Um, is it aching for a past or is it thinking about a future? And I'm wondering, you know, A, what do you think has changed and B, you know, how is the Alliance going to respond to that? I do think that there is a tendency to look backwards and see something that wasn't there. Um, kind of in my mm -hmm. ambit anyway. It's just, I, I think all the time about different places I've worked that had just as large concentrations of employees and students in their cities, um, different cities in New Jersey and, and elsewhere. Um, and maybe like a lunch place closed down. I don't want to minimize what that means, but I think there is an over, um, there's too much emphasis placed on what it meant to have a number X number of workers in a city and what that meant for economic activity. And I do think you see that in New York as well, where I don't think anyone would say that before the pandemic, Halsey Street or Market or Clinton or Commerce like had the concentration of restaurants or amenities, you know, that we wanted that we would have wanted to see that we want to see today. So I think the first place is just like I, I try to I believe that's very important to drive the point home where it's like it'd be great, obviously, to return back to the number of workers and, you know, students, although students are a bit different since they are mostly back and will be back that we had pre pandemic. But it's much, much more about increasing the level of engagement. And I think that's where the alliance is trying to emphasize. So we are absolutely trying to encourage people to come back to work, uh, to come back to visit as much as we can. But I think equally, if not more important, is to make that time here as meaningful as possible to the local economy um, and to everything else in the city, where if you are here, you know, you are getting your lunch here, you are walking around, you're buying, you know, alcohol at a, a local vendor. It's just 
that is what we're trying to do. And so the means by which we do it beyond sort of soft power and having that conversation is we, we've done basically tried to, with small businesses, buy up uh, a lot of goods and services that we could then offer back to our different members and say, if you wanted, you know, an activation of a restaurant or a clothing store, you could have a tour or a lunch and learn, or there could be like the first event we're going to be doing is sort of a curated coffee battle of the bean, you know, downtown among the different coffee shops where the different members and their employees participate. We're just trying to find inventive ways to drive connection so that even if we are at, you know, X percent of what we were pre-pandemic, that percent is much more meaningful because those people are more engaged. They find reasons to come here, you know, on the weekend. They stay after work longer. We get more restaurants and bars that are open later. Um, I think that's just the message to the members. It's just how do we make this time in Newark as meaningful as possible? And because that was the problem before COVID, too. If you had 10,000 more people, but if they just came in and then they left, you know, that was that was just a different that, that, that wasn't the golden era necessarily. Mm. You know, that, that seems like sometimes gets remembered. And I'd say the last piece is just, you know, the amount of things that um, we also just want to try to make possible, like in themselves, um, if no worker goes, but residents enjoy it. That's incredibly important, too. And just making sure that there the amount of activities, um, you know, getting back to that point, you know, pre-pandemic. Just, just more stuff to do and to not have to worry about the cancellations anymore. You know, that's also very much part of it. So by what I am, my organization is, a lot of it is workers, but we are constantly, we it cannot be the exclusive focus whatsoever. Yeah, to stick on, on this point about COVID, I, I, I think what you're saying is really, um, and not to editorialize too much, but very refreshing because I think it's so hard. And I, and I can't blame institutional leaders too much for this because it's trying to, uh, you know, do health, like health relief and economic relief during a pandemic is very different from then also trying to think about what the world after that looks like. And so it's a very difficult balancing act for, for any institutional or um, political leader. So I, I'm kind of glad to hear from you, particularly as an institutional leader, that the focus is on what the new world is going to look like as opposed to returning to the old world. Um but I will tell you, it's it, it, it is astounding to see the sea change of what Newark could look like. I think there's no question we've been d- devastated by the pandemic, but it's also I saw some glimmers of some very interesting stuff during this time, to say the least. Um, yeah. Particularly around I mean, Military Park is a good heuristic for a lot of things, right? And um, you know what it was before the pandemic and what kind of activities populated it during the pandemic were very fascinating to watch. Um, you know, just an example, like the kind of people who were using military parks, it stopped being like where people went to lunch during the day and became this kind of more activity driven kind of place, which is something I I was kind of excited to see. And so I'm wondering, like, is there among the panoply panoply of things you guys are focusing on, is there going to be more of that kind of stuff? I think the battle of the bean is in that kind of vein, right? Of more, uh, programmatic elements as opposed to, um, I don't know how to describe. Yeah. I don't know what the opposite of programmatic there would be, but whatever that opposite is, more of like anch- not anchor, but like um, one-offs. I guess is the other example. So, yeah, if you guys I mean, are I programmatically, think, yeah, absolutely. And yeah. I think you know, in addition to that battle of the bean, we're trying to do something a lunch and learn um, around Juneteenth, um, which is basically like it sounds. You know, having an engaged conversation about Juneteenth in partnership with. Um, some black owned businesses and other businesses, you know, in the downtown that will be working with, you know, the employees. Because, yeah, I definitely I cannot minimize um, you know, the importance of having lunch. And, you know, it's amazing that the yard is back open again, you know, in Military Park. But absolutely, I think the idea is just like there are so many unbelievable cultural opportunities and like much richer ways of participating in the city that we want to try to deploy and then to make it, um, you know, easy. I mean, it's just, it's something that people, you know, forget everything else, just the convenience factor and life juggling factor that people have found sometimes in the pandemic, whether it's childcare related or, or, you know, something else, 
giving that up can be hard. And so making sure that there is an easy way to at least start on the journey of engaging more with Newark in a programmed way, you know, is something that we we want to take seriously to be able to deliver, um, you know, to anybody. And again, this is, you know, for members and residents, it's, um, you know, something that it, it just has to be more programmatic. I think one of the other things to say, though, is one of the things we helped launch and continue to maintain, um, along with the incredibly talented Tamara Remedios, is, is the Newark gift card. Mm. And that's something where it's sort of a, you know, macro uh, economic response in the sense that you're getting this card with money on it, you know, to be able to spend that specific but a pretty broad base of Newark businesses. So that's an example of, I guess, sort of a hybrid like it is kind of a program, but it is meant to be something that has a broad-based economic impact and not heavily curated. But I think it's sort of, you know, Audible has some more programs to that in the past, the Audible Bucks, you know, there are different examples of that. And I think we've really, you know, it's, you know, the continued theme might be like all of the above, but absolutely, I think those are just two examples of different approaches that I feel like both need to be taken. Uh, yeah, and I wanted to go back to a point you mentioned earlier to flesh it out a little bit more, which is um, the the walls issue you spoke to, this idea that there are walls, metaphorically, obviously, <laughs> and somewhat literally <laughs> uh, within the city. Um, and obviously, you know, you don't have to get into too many specifics. I understand you deal with a lot of different actors and have relationship building to do. But I'm wondering if you can explain a little bit. I think a lot of listeners probably, particularly if they work either in the nonprofit or, you know, in a sphere that deals with a lot of institutions in Newark, understands what this is getting at. But if you could explain that a little bit more of what you've experienced in terms of these walls. Yeah, I think it's, um, you know, one of the things that sort of drove me nuts um, in government is that, like, Government is constantly derided as, you know, not being efficient and, you know, the private sector can be so much more efficient, um, in terms of just how, how they work day to day. When I zoom out, it's really much more, I just think if, whether you're bureaucratic or not, whether you're public or private, when you start scaling up a bureaucracy, um, again, in any sector that just creates walls, it creates Balls, silos, whatever you want to call it, that just make it harder to collaborate. And I think one of the things that's fascinating is that this phenomenon is true, like both inter and intra, meaning that like in big institution X, that is a member, department Y might not know what department Z is up to, even though if they're working on the same thing. And so I think sometimes there's a tendency to kind of think that it is more, um, you know, intentionally walled than it really is that a lot of the time it, it just is something where, again, this is one of the kind of theories of the case for the alliance where you just need an intermediary, you need a facilitator, even within organizations to help kind of bridge those uh, divides. And I do think, again, sticking on the, in, in, <laughs> the inside the organization for a second, you might have, you know, a local community relations or government relations department that is doing one thing in Newark. And I think a premise of the alliance is that while that is incredibly important, we often try to say, okay, what is your procurement team doing in Newark? What is your HR team doing in Newark? And that, by the way, is critical for reopening. So really just leveraging within the organizations as much as we can, like all of, all of the stuff, instead of being donated to, you know, one lane and particularly kind of a, you know, a community affairs lane. Which again is critical, but just like we want to leverage as much of the other centers of power as we can. Moving to kind of the external walls, I think that idea is just that no matter where you are, you know, the, often it's called like town gown relations. And I feel like here, you know, the gown extends beyond our universities to all the other institutions where it's just figuring out ways for them to make connections uh, with everyday Newarkers. And I think to a member, like they are already doing an outstanding job. You know, we can always push further. But I think that's one thing I love about Newark is that that is at the center of so many um, organizations that exist here. But that is part of why they're here, why they continue to be here, how they participated being here. So in some ways, it's pushing on a screen door um, because there is so much involvement and engagement. Um, 
you know, it's, I used to work uh, in a city that was founded around a steel mill and still is. Um, and that steel mill is literally why that city was created. And they won't talk to anybody for the most part. Um, even though they're physically there, it was part of the whole story of the, the place. And they're just not available actors. And in Newark, you just, you don't see that um, for the most part. And so I think it's important to keep driving at that and to make that better. And particularly the idea of small businesses and medium business working with the larger ones and with the larger institutions in general, that's the goal. But I hope that makes some sense of just the walls can exist inside the house and outside the house. And just both of them are things that we try to take down. But again, like I think it's an incredible group of people in Newark already because they get that that's, that has to be part of the story and the approach. Yeah, I, yeah, it's often funny. Sometimes um, you you, do, you can see sometimes internally us working at cross purposes just because no one's talking to each other, which is always mm-hmm. fascinating to see. Uh, and it, it's it's it is really interesting to hear that that it's actually top of mind for the alliance um, is to hash out those issues. And obviously, some of those differences are actually ideological. Like it, as with any city, I think there's a a richer spread of ideology than I think people want to give us credit for. I think a lot of people have different visions. Um, and so, and there's also territorialness too. I mean, we're no, we're, we're not exempt from that either old school style politics where you have your lane and you fiercely protect that lane and from any encroachment. Um, do you find that there's been, I mean, obviously the Alliance has been around for quite some time, but is there resistance? Is there widespread acceptance? Is a little bit of both? Um, is there a lot of diplomacy that you have to do? Yeah, I mean, of course. And I, I would like to think that I do think that it's it's like everyone is coming from goodwill. But I think part of it is just that, like you mentioned, um, I think there's a lot of extremely goodwilled visions of what different institutions want to be doing in the city. And I think the premise of the alliance is just that, you know, some of those visions are better than others, so we should adopt them. Um, some of the visions also can work better together than apart. And I think that's really where the diplomacy is. I don't feel like I'm working against anything. I haven't had that experience where just someone is just, you know, kind of not on board with the broader hope and mission uh, of inclusive economic growth. And it's, it's more just the means and the how where I feel like that's where the majority of the conversation goes. And I think that's healthy. I think that's part of the point of just you do have to push and stress test and see what's going to work and, and what isn't. And one thing I find incredibly valuable in Newark and everywhere is just um, is history. And, you know, a book I'm reading right now called The Fixers, mm-hmm. you know, it, it goes about kind of both immediately before and after the rebellion and all the different entities that sort of came up with their own, you know, acronyms and led these incredible efforts, which sound really familiar. And the anecdote that opens the book is a march on Newark Airport um, to try to get more jobs for Newarkers at the airport. And the state, like the mayor and the deputy mayor, did something very similar not too long ago. And it's amazing to see, you know, that those issues keep coming up over and over again. We certainly make progress. But at the same time, it's um, it's very relevant to me to kind of see what's been tried before, because just like there's sort of this horizontal diplomacy of, you know, different visions and seeing what will work best and trying to spread that knowledge and spread that gospel. It's also very important to look to the past um, to kind of see, you know, the literal predecessors of the alliance or, you know, entities that are still with us today, like, Prudential on the one hand and New Community Corporation on the other, you know, just two examples of long-lived institutions that have been at this in some capacity for decades and decades. Um, yeah, to, to learn from that kind of vertical <laughs> vertical history as well. Uh, you just mentioned a lot of um, institutions that have uh, footholds or presence in, in Newark. But you also, I imagine, speak with a lot of external people, institutions, and when I say external, even as far far outside the state or New York City. And I'm wondering, in those conversations or even pitches, maybe that you have with them, what do you find are the biggest challenges with speaking to external? Like when I mean external, I mean really external actors. Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think it's just telling. 
it's the fact that they haven't been here. It, it's just that's that's the biggest challenge. It's like when you leave. This is true of New Jersey. It's more true of Newark, but it's the same kind of thing. It's just like New Jersey is a turnpike and Newark is a turnpike in an airport. <laughs> and that's often what you hear when you talk to people outside. And I also think that problem, it's certainly external, you know, external can be in an Essex County suburb. There's plenty of people who probably never set foot here um, who grew up a few miles away or never thought to, um, let alone done it. And so I think that is the that is the problem. And I love, like, for example, with like Happy Met Newark is doing or just the different ways or just recently with Audible and the Book of Baraka, like different ways to tell the story of this place, because I think it's just getting people here. And yeah, it's very similar with New Jersey, <laughs> but in Newark, it's just outsized because a thing I always think about is just, you know, Pittsburgh is now officially a smaller city than Newark. And I just feel like most people in America would have no clue. They would view Pittsburgh as being a much larger city. And Pittsburgh is one of my favorite cities. It's amazing. It's a great and inspirational place to me. But I think the consciousness of, of Newark is just like, it, it is not often in that national conversation of absolutely where it deserves to be. And I think this mayor, you know, Mayor Baraka and Mayor Booker, like, did a lot to elevate that. I think the mayor's father did a lot to elevate that as well. And certainly companies, you know, like Prudential, like Audible, Chancellor Cantor at Rutgers, there are so many people working on this, you know, to raise that profile. But I just feel like that's the tide we're swimming against. And there's certainly, you know, the legacy of history and the legacy of the uprising and the rebellion that colored certainly a lot of local thought. But as that generation kind of changes, I do think now it is more indifference or not knowing that, that we're dealing with in, in some respects. Um, but it's certainly the legacies, you know, do remain that we are fighting against uh, to correct. And I think that's just meeting Newark, you know, in the parlance of having met Newark, that's just the key part. Uh, Pittsburgh is a great city to mention for that. I've always looked for models uh, to compare Newark to. And it's just so hard because there's so few American cities where um, they're deeply affected and still deal with uh, one particular event. Um, maybe the you know the, the closest is New Orleans and Katrina in the sense you could talk about a pre-2005 New Orleans and a post-2005 New Orleans. But Pittsburgh is often one I go to because I just it's a really interesting city. It's still different enough from Newark, but I, I, I was very glad to hear you mention Pittsburgh because I'm always looking to what they're doing. I think there's always an impulse to compare Newark to Detroit, which I find actually a little annoying just because of Detroit's size. And it, it has such a much yeah. larger presence in the American imagination. Um, Newark for, you know, all our, you know, for being the home of a lot of celebrities is actually very little known in this country, I find. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it's Pittsburgh is a, that's a lot on Pittsburgh. It's a very interesting comparison. Uh, you know, as I one, think it's, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, like, I also struggle with this question because I think Pittsburgh is a troubled comparison as well yep. for two reasons that come top of mind. It's like their culminating event was deindustrialization, you know, and the collapse of the steel industry. Um, and I think, you know, as I think you're intimating for Newark, it was 1967. Yes, yes, very much so. And and I think Newark also went through deindustrialization, you know, on top of that. And I think we kind of have that twin legacy. And I was um, having lunch with kind of an economic development leader in Pittsburgh about a month ago. And just like when you try to try to say like deindustrialization and the havoc it wreaked on the American Midwest and what's called the Rust Belt, like is a completely real phenomenon. But one of the things that came up was just, you know, York is, is on the Acela corridor, is on the airport. It's, you know, you could like throw a stone at New York City, you know, not literally, but it's just, it's right there. And there's perception that just like, because of where Newark is, that should be enough, particularly when, you know, you're in a Pittsburgh or Youngstown. It, but it's just not the case because of the legacy, um, structural racism, and other things that have been at work in this part of America and in New Jersey that we're all trying to overcome. So that as incredibly intense 
and as devastating, it truly devastated. Like I just happened to be in Johnstown, which is another great city, much smaller than Pittsburgh, you know, um, last week. You know, they went from a city of 70,000 to about 19,000 within a few decades because of the industrialization. Um, and Newark, you know, faced a lot of that, but we have those twin headwinds. And the other thing I would say is just you cannot underscore enough the fact that we are so close to New York. Mm-hmm. where Pittsburgh is its own metro area, very much so. And most cities, Detroit included, are their own metro area. You know, we are a large city, relatively speaking, but we are completely absorbed <laughs> by the largest city in America. And I think that is a big difference when often people look at strategies for different parts of America. You have to always think about New York, um, for better or worse, you know, as, as part of our story. Yeah, and I would add to that. I think you're totally right, and I agree, because I think this is often underplayed in conversations in Newark. Uh, But also the fracturing of Newark. I mean, Newark is so weird compared to other (laughs) major cities in that its uh, suburbs remain outside its jurisdiction. Correct. And and I don't mean just outside in the sense that, like, you know, Natick, I can't think of a good example here, but Natick is outside of Boston and it's not part of Boston, right? But it's a suburb. I mean, in the sense that like literally places that abut Newark, uh, Newark actually has no control. And if anything, those towns actually control Newark if you think about the county politics and who has influence in the county. Um, and so we, you know, we deal with not only the fact that uh, we're such a small city, but with such a large cultural presence, but we also have to deal with the also the fact that... Um, there's so, you know, I often pass around to people if they really want to understand Newark, I pass around the equalization tables, which is a, I figure someone like you would be very familiar with what this is. Um, <laughs> yes. And if you want to understand w- why Newark is, is struggles so hard to just do a lot of things that it wants to do, just look at the ability to fund itself, right? Because the equalization tables basically say how powerful a town could be within its own boundaries, right? Um, the fact that Milburn has $9 billion of accessible property and we have 12 despite having a difference of probably five to one population uh, mm-hmm. is, is a, it, it just shows you the kind of, and those are obviously systemic and racial issues built into that as well, but just show like as a pure economic tax policy thing, like just how yeah. hard it is for a city to, to do anything. Um, yeah. so not so much a question, but a statement to add to what you were talking about as well. No, I'm in, in violent agreement uh, with what you're saying and just the fact that it's 26 square miles with a lot of that being a fifth or a sixth mm. airport and port, yep. you know, just present challenges that a Detroit, which is, I don't know, 200 square miles or something, you know, it's an entirely, which has its own challenges, absolutely, with city infrastructure and everything like that. But it's just, yeah, I mean... It is surprising, though, and I was doing this, doing some research myself. I was looking at 1950 census figures, and the reason I was looking at it was I was trying to see the change in median household value, like the value of a home, and then also the amount of owner occupancy um, in Newark versus the county. Hmm. And the lack of change was shocking. And I don't know if it's something that is needs to be corrected for when you look at the 60s and maybe, you know, federal home ownership programs and GI Bill, like, took a little bit to take hold. But I think it's just like since a long time, you know, the dynamic between a Newark and a Montclair was pretty similar in 1950. Like owner occupancy was about 25% in 1950. And I think that would surprise a lot of people. But just the economic place of the city and the constellation of the county and the region has been relatively consistent. Um, and it's just... Uh, there's so much structural stuff we're swimming against here, <laughs> you know, that will need structural solutions, um, you yeah. know, to try to deal with. Uh, no joke. I have, uh, I've asked Professor Trout on, and I, I he uh, pr- provisionally said yes to come on to talk about the climb reports that just came out. Speaking of owner occupancy, yes. Yes. Uh, that's, that's something I want to go deep, deep in the weeds on because <laughs> I have a lot, of, <laughs> I have a lot of thoughts, uh, almost all in agreement with him, but also just like thoughts because <laughs> it's, yes. it's, it's, it's a national problem, but with a heavy local flavor, which is fascinating. Um, Absolutely. But um, as we wind down, I just want to kind of ask you this last question about, um, you know, sort of your priorities. I understand you have a lot of on, on your plate for this first year. But I'm wondering, what is it like within a few years that you would love to focus on, like the sort of second order um, stuff you want the Alliance to focus on, you know, after you've tackled the major issues? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I think to me, it's like we are continuing to try to tackle major issues like workforce, you know, we call higher Newark, uh, like local procurement, getting all these institutions. Again, like Newark Anchor Collaborative is a critical part of this um, to try to be able to just hire more uh, locally, buy more locally, but also that same group, the Anchor Collaborative, you know, is along with the Alliance have made racial equity and actually implementing um, racial equity in those organizations and throughout the city, like a, a keystone of the project. So I'd say like on a macro perspective, those three items um, are really, really significant. Um, the other kind of change we've made is to try to go on these sort of sprints over 30 months or so periods. Um, on a project that feels tangible and real, both to the members and to the community. And so the first is, you know, we're just trying to do whatever we can uh, for Halsey Street to kind of make it a national branded destination, perhaps part of the broader arts and education district. But to not only make it a branded destination that people across America know and want to go to, but continue to be an engine of black and brown wealth creation through businesses, through real estate, you know, not to see success being chain stores up and down Halsey, but seeing it be a place where it is an engine of local growth. That's kind of big project one. And big project two is just working with the city on trying to deliver um, universal, reliable, affordable, high-speed internet everywhere. Um, Newark is blessed, you know, kind of the 21st century infrastructure is the internet infrastructure that Newark sits, you know, out on an international note of. And basically democratizing that, getting that in the hands affordably to everyone in the city. It's that sort of big project, too. And the third is continuing to work along with the mayor, along with the governor um, on homelessness in Newark, you know, which was so exasperated tragically by the pandemic, but has been an issue unjustly for a long time. And so trying to do what we can, particularly around transportation corridors in the city, um, to not only, you know, help the homeless in the immediate sense, the more shelter space and services, but you know that permanently and deeply affordable housing when needed, workforce when needed. And so those are sort of the three big projects. And I just close with the idea that we view each of those projects as having to incorporate within them the principles of higher by live and principle of racial equity that the Halsey Street story needs to be about hiring new workers. It needs to be about, like I said, job creation and entrepreneurship in the city. You know, ideally, the restaurants there should be, you know, serving newer grown food when we can, um, you know, whether it's an urban farm or something else. or buying newer cups and hats, you know, for the restaurants and, and so on. I think we want to be as integrated in the development story as we can. It's not just about tax credits and not just about finance, lighting, real estate, parking, security, art, you know, all of these have to be part of that story. And I think that's what we're trying to undertake in, in these projects. Yeah, I wish you all the best with that. I think it's pretty amazing, amazing slate of stuff that you've got going on there. Uh, and I just want to end with the last question I always ask every guest, which is, what are you excited for in Newark? I just think I'm excited for, and this is a general thing, but just for like the yeah, it's hard to always say this, and everyone chooses the word, but like the end of COVID, whatever that means, but just coming out of that because of just how fun Newark is and because of how much stuff is going on and because of how much activity is already here. And as you said, there are so many interesting things that came out of the pandemic. Like, I'm not trying to you know soft pedal and be ambiguous, but it's just like I, I love the things that I can whether it's at Symphony Hall or MJ Pack or the museum on the big institutional level or just the activations that, you know, Aisha talked about today at Audible and the whole artist team, the Halsey Fest, which we're, you know, going to try to make as big as we can this year. It's just like there's so much, you know, I went to the comedy show um, a few weeks ago and it's just like there's so much going on that, yes, the like macroeconomic stuff is great, but like they feed into each other. And I think that's what I'm excited about, of just like everyone's getting out of hibernation. And yeah, I'm, I'm just excited to, to be here, <laughs> yeah. you know, uh, uh, in basic terms. I can't echo that sentiment anymore. I, um, you know, I think as I've gotten older, I've come to the strong belief. I used to be very young and wide-eyed and thought it was always going to be these massive things. But I've learned so much 
so much that it starts with the small and I, and what you're saying here is, you know, definitely how I've, you know, come to learn, get most excited about Newark essentially is all these smaller things trying to, you know, establish their roots and, and grow into larger things. Yeah. And I would be remiss not to say that I do think it is both. I think, I, I just think it's this, you know, the dragon eating its tail. It's like they both have to be part of it. Like the institutional fabric that's been laid here, whether it's the city government, state government, Rutgers University, NJIT, Essex County College, you know, and all the other big institutions, like doing one or the other, I think, is the fallacy. Like you do need a prudential center. I believe that. You know, you need an NJ pack, you need a prudential, you need an audible, but then you need all the different flowerings too. It, it just, it, they all have to coexist and work together and build together. And I think that's hopefully, you know, the underlying premise of a lot of what the Alliance is trying to do. That's really great. Um, that's it for this episode. I would like to thank our guest, Evan Weiss. This is Manny Antunes, host and producer of the Pod and Market podcast, editing and sound engineering by Bob Fraze. Podcast and logo design provided by Robert Conti. Additional creative input by Samantha Cateas. If you have a subject you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, please email podandmarket at gmail.com or contact the pod through social media. We are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, I'm just going to end quickly here um, with um, a quote from Stories of Your Life, which is a collection of short stories by Ted Chang. Uh, you may know one of these short stories uh, because it was turned into the film Arrival. And I'm not much of a sci-fi person, but I read Exhalation, which was a book released recently. And I went back to this older book of his and have just found them deeply rewarding, despite not being much of a fan of sci-fi. And in this story, uh, it's a retelling of the story of the Tower of Babel, which is a very fascinating take, a sort of sci-fi take on what occurred um, in that biblical story. It was clear now why Yahweh had not struck down the tower, had not punished men for wishing to reach beyond the bounds set for them, for the longest journey would merely return them to the place whence they'd come. Thank you.